Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I spend a lot of time in the Healed Being support group, both on Facebook and on another platform off of social media. Both are private, so no one knows you're in there except other members and me. So if you've discovered you're the difficult person in the relationship and would like to change that about yourself, check out the lessons over at HealedBeing.com and join me and others in a very supportive, helpful community. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you learn the skill set you need to deal with life's challenges in the most emotionally intelligent way. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. I am going to start this show off and um, make this segment about a toxic person in this person's life, this person who wrote to me and said that her mom is toxic. And I've actually worked with this person before, and I know quite a lot about her situation and what her mom has put her through. But I'm going to read you this message and um, give you my thoughts and opinions on what she should do, because she has a very specific question. Because sometimes toxic people show up in your life, and you're not necessarily sure how to deal with them. You're not sure if you should avoid them. Uh, Should you block them like she did? I'm going to read that in a second. Um, Or what? What if they're family? What if you need to communicate with them? Or what if you think you need to? And what if they're the only family you have? In this case, a mom. What if your mom or dad or brother or sister or somebody that you don't have another of is toxic. What is toxic? I think toxic, at least the way I define it, is a situation where somebody wants you to feel bad or they want to make sure that you're hurt or feel insulted. They want to control your life. They want to manipulate you. They don't care about your feelings. They are selfish. They want to do what they want to do regardless of how you feel about it. I think all of these and probably more qualities will lead to a toxic situation. And a lot of it does have to do with someone just being selfish and more or less being a steamroller. They're steamrolling over your thoughts and feelings and don't really care how you feel about it. Or if they do care, they don't care enough to change probably doesn't happen too often. 
Um, because if they care about you, they don't want you to hurt. They don't want you to feel bad. They want you to feel good. People who love and support you want you to feel good. So when they show up and you don't feel good and you tell them, hey, what you're doing is hurting me or it's disrespectful, could you please stop? And they don't stop. You have to question uh, what kind of support or caring or love they have for you. And the way I look at things is if someone comes into my life or is in my life and they are behaving in a way that is hurtful or disrespectful and I let them know and they don't stop, I am pretty much over it. I'm done. I will say this is not working out or I'll just leave because I don't want them in my life. I mean, I'll talk to them. I'll say what you're doing is hurtful or disrespectful and I don't appreciate it. And if someone cares about you, they're going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or maybe I did mean it and um, I was just angry. And so I won't do it again. Or at least I'll control myself a little bit better so that doesn't happen again. People who care about you, who aren't being selfish, who actually care about your well-being, want you to be happy or at least don't want to hurt you or be the person that's being hurtful towards you. So... I'm just going to read this email right away and see where we go with it. This person wrote, I had blocked my mom and disabled my voicemail because I wanted to stop all of her negativity and toxicity from coming into my life. However, I unblocked her number a few weeks ago, not because I wanted to talk to her, but because I just don't like the idea of having to block my mother. I don't like the idea of, quote, hating someone or, quote, resenting someone. It feels heavy on my mind and on my heart. Since I unblocked her number, I saw a few of her text messages saying, How are you? And at one time earlier, she sent a message saying, I'd like to come by. Would you like to see me? If yes, which day would suit you? Have a nice day. I didn't respond to her message and I ignored it. I thought that was really strange as she never comes to visit me. Then a few weeks later, she sent me a gift. She messaged me right when it got delivered, asking, can you make sure you got that package? Thank you. And later that same day, she sent, did you receive the package? I didn't answer her, but I didn't return the gift either. Actually, I need some of the stuff she sent me, but should I send them back? Is it better to send these things back? And tonight she sent me the same message again. I hope you are doing well. I'm wondering, is there any day that you will have time for me? I can book a flight and uh, I won't stay, but please let me know. Thank you. I find it really strange. First, I'm wondering, what does she want? Also, I'm wondering if I should be worried about something. I think that, originally, I thought that she probably missed me. But the more I think about it, I think it's more that she can't accept the fact that I am done with all her abuse. Is that possible? I thought that maybe she just can't accept that she does bad behavior. If you have some time, I'd really appreciate any thoughts that you may have. All right, thank you so much for sharing that. And like I said, I have some background on this myself, so I know the kind of person her mom is, at least her experience of her mom. And I will say this, regardless of what I know, if this was brand new to me, the very first thing I would say is that if this person has been toxic and you have let them know that their behavior has been disrespectful or hurtful, 
and they send you a gift out of the blue without an apology, (laughs) then I would be highly suspicious. Now, that doesn't mean if they apologize, you shouldn't be suspicious anyway, because a person that's been toxic for a while, they don't just suddenly change. They don't just suddenly have um, an epiphany one day. They can, but uh, I will say most of them don't. Usually it takes some life-changing event or some huge revelation. They have some sort of enlightenment where they suddenly realize that they've been hurtful and it hurts them that they've been hurtful or they suddenly develop empathy and they realize, wow, if I was that person, that would really be terrible and I'm a bad person or I'm a hurtful person, so I need to stop doing that. Something big has to happen in their life in order for a change to take place in most toxic, manipulative, or controlling people. Something big has to happen. Because I see this a lot in relationships especially, where somebody will break up with a manipulative or controlling person, and that controlling person will say, I'm so sorry, I promise I'll change. I promise I'll change. And then they'll say, I have changed. They'll go even further. I've done a lot of soul searching and a lot of reflecting, and I have changed. And then a few weeks later, they get back together, and a few weeks go by, and everything is fantastic. But then the manipulation and the control starts to seep in to the relationship again because they really haven't changed. They just experienced a loss, decided that they don't want that loss, and then they come back to the relationship saying, I have changed, I've thought about things, I've reflected, but they really haven't changed. They just didn't want the loss and didn't address what needed healing inside of them. That's something that I talk about in the Healed Being program is that uh, when you are hurtful to someone else, you have very likely unhealed trauma or uh, poor coping mechanisms because when you get upset or triggered, how do you cope? That's what I ask them. How do you cope? If you cope by getting angry at someone else, that's not necessarily helpful in most cases. And in most cases, it's also unhealthy. But if your coping mechanism is to lash out or get angry at someone else, instead of reflect on why you're being triggered or what caused you to feel this way in the first place, um, was there old trauma or neglect or abuse that you have to heal from, Um, There's all kinds of things that can go on that you can carry with you throughout life that become hurtful or even abusive behaviors if you don't uh, reflect on that stuff and really process what's going on inside of you and maybe even get therapy, talk to someone about it, or join a support group, whatever. The whole point is your coping mechanisms, if they aren't um, healthy and they are in fact toxic, can cause you to be hurtful to other people. And so if the person who says they've changed hasn't uh, healed from that old stuff or worked on changing how they cope with things, then they usually haven't changed. And the test is to challenge them with their trigger. Just like this person who wrote, 
I would challenge your mom with what triggers her. I'm not saying you should do this, but I'm saying if you're going to test this, if you want to find out if your mom really has changed, I mean, it is possible. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's definitely possible that someone can do a lot of reflecting and realize what they have to lose if they don't change their behaviors and if they don't stop hurting you or controlling you or abusing you. They might realize how much they have to lose and think to themselves, I better change. I better heal from this stuff. I better stop lashing out or getting angry at that person or or mistreating them, whatever. That can happen. It doesn't happen often, but it can happen. And when it does, the only way that I've noticed it happens is if they have dealt with their coping mechanisms. How do I cope when I get triggered? That's what she needs to ask herself, her mom. How do I cope when I get triggered? Because how I'm coping now is by hurting my daughter in some way. So if she really does want this relationship to work out and you want her in your life in any way, you have to find out how she copes. And I personally like to put people to the test. Are they really healed? I put myself to the test. (laughs) When I have coping mechanisms that are, uh, what can I say, failing me in some way, hurting people I care about, like when I was very judgmental and critical, or even when I was younger, like when I was possessive and jealous, those were terrible coping mechanisms because they created huge rifts in my relationship and hurt people I cared about. And so in order to stop hurting the people I cared about, I had to figure out what was triggering me and why I was getting triggered so that I could process and heal from that stuff and uh, develop new coping mechanisms. A lot of my new coping mechanisms had to do with just changing my beliefs. Like I used to believe that someone drinking alcohol was a bad thing. It can be, it can lead to bad things when they become inebriated and do certain things, but it doesn't mean that someone drinking alcohol is necessarily bad or toxic or even about me or hurtful toward me, but I used to believe it was. I used to believe that someone drinking alcohol around me, someone I cared about, typically a romantic partner, but um, also members of my family, when they drank alcohol around me, even if they didn't become inebriated, I would be um, I would be angry. I would get angry. I would be triggered. And so a good test for me when I started dealing with my coping mechanisms and learning what I believed was to figure out if my beliefs were actuality. Were they true? Were my beliefs real? Is it true that people drinking alcohol around me is bad? Are they bad people? Will they do bad things? And I just kept testing that. Okay, this time I'm going to figure out if that person's bad because they're going to drink and I'm going to just not say anything and I'm going to see what happens. That's what I did. I challenged myself by waiting to see what happened after or during their drinking. And almost every time I, quote, survived, I survived that moment. I made it through that moment or that hour or that night. They drank and I was okay and... They didn't embarrass me. They didn't uh, chase me around the room. They didn't make me afraid for my life. Wow, this isn't anything at all like my upbringing. 
I, I didn't experience that in my upbringing. I was afraid in my upbringing. But here I am around people that are drinking and they're not acting like my alcoholic stepfather did. So this means that drinking in itself isn't bad. It's just that some people turn it into something that will cause me to be afraid, or at least they have in the past. So I challenge myself by being around people and allowing it to happen, not stopping it or not being a jerk about it. And uh, it uh, freed me. It, it helped me deal with it and cope with it in a whole whole new way. In fact, I don't even call it coping anymore. It's just acceptance. I accept that people I love can drink and it's not a problem for me anymore. But before, my coping mechanism was to be upset. I got triggered. I got critical. I gave them dirty looks. I gave them the silent treatment. I was awful. But I've changed because I wanted to. I didn't like hurting the people I cared about. And I wanted to change that about myself. So that was my revelation. That was my enlightenment. And I'm sharing this with you because when someone has been in your life and has been toxic, and you might have some old PTSD about it, so that when other people are that way, you might be triggered again. You might have a coping mechanism that needs to be addressed. And I'm not saying that you just change your coping mechanisms if they are working for you. If you have coping mechanisms that are working for you, you don't have to change those. If they're protecting you, you don't have to change them. Because coping mechanisms are created to protect you. If I want to survive this moment, I need to cope. How do I cope? Well, you develop that in childhood and you develop it as you grow up because you learn ways to, quote, survive. And when you get through that moment, you look back and you say, hey, the way I coped helped me survive. The way I coped in childhood may not be the same way you need to cope in adulthood. And because of that, some of the uh, coping mechanisms that you created in childhood aren't necessarily valid or necessary or even healthy anymore. They may have been in childhood because you had less power and control over your life. But when you grow up, you have a lot more of it. It's just sometimes you don't grasp it. Sometimes you don't uh, take it and say, this is mine. This is my life. I get to make my own decisions now. And I'm also more capable now than I was as a child. And because I'm more capable, I can cope better. I can get through more challenging situations. If you've been afraid of spiders all your life, for example, when did that start? Why are you afraid of spiders? They're creepy looking. Yes, they bite. Yeah, some of them, a lot of them. <laughs> and uh, why are you afraid now? There's probably a reason that you have held on to for so long that you haven't addressed. And I'm not saying you have to. <laughs> if you don't like spiders, that's fine. But uh, it took some reflecting for me to ask myself, why the heck am I afraid of spiders now? Yeah, they're still creepy looking, but wow, I, I, I look at them totally differently now. I see them in a web thinking, uh, they're just looking at me, hoping that I don't go over there and mess with them. <laughs> they hope that I don't wreck their web. All they want to do is be left alone. They just want to sit in their web and wait for bugs to come along so that they can capture and eat them. And that's all they want to do. 
They're not walking around trying to figure out how to attack me or anything like that. And so my perception of spiders, for example, through most of my life was that they were creepy and dangerous and I didn't want anything to do with them. And now I believe they're creepy, but they're not dangerous, at least the ones I've dealt with. And um, really, all they want to do is be left alone. And after I developed that perception, I just got along with them better. (laughs) They're over there. I'm over here. No big deal. And so that's just one example of how you might be carrying something from childhood that really doesn't serve you anymore. Do you have beliefs or old coping mechanisms mechanisms that don't serve you anymore? So that was kind of an aside. Let me get back to this person's message. And I am intertwining some of what I want to tell her into what I'm talking about now. But let's get to her very specific questions. She wrote that she blocked her mom and then unblocked her. And uh, one of the things she said is, I don't like the idea of hating someone or resenting someone. It feels heavy on my mind and my heart. Let me just address this right away. It's a quick answer for me. I don't look at it as hating someone when you block them. I look at it as protecting yourself. Period. You needed to protect yourself. You were receiving harmful, toxic treatment. And if you didn't block her, you'd be exposing yourself to relationship radiation. One of my terms I use every now and then. It's a radioactive relationship. And if you know something is radioactive, you don't expose yourself to it. So this toxic person was very radioactive in your life, and you decided, you know what, I'm going to put on my radioactive suit. I don't want to get sick from radioactivity, so I'm going to leave the area. I'm going to protect myself just in case the radioactive element gets near me. Let's just say that um, it's toxic rain. (laughs) So you put your radioactive suit on, and you're protected from the toxic rain because sometimes... Uh, radioactivity is hard to get away from, so you do your do your best to protect yourself at all costs. And this is how I see it. So you actually may have had hateful feelings, or you may have thought to yourself, I really don't like this person, or I'm resenting this person. That could have been true, or could be true, but if you focus on the action that you took, it was to protect yourself. It wasn't because you hate them and you're going to prove to them that they're evil, so blocking them proves that. I suppose somebody could do that. They could block someone and say, I'm blocking you because you're evil and I want to teach you a lesson. But almost 99.9% of the time, someone blocks another person because they need to protect themselves from them. They need to feel safe and having them in their life, this toxic person in their life, makes them feel unsafe. And so what do you do when you feel unsafe? You find a way to protect yourself. So as far as that's concerned, if you don't like the idea of hating someone or resenting someone, don't associate that with blocking. Blocking is associated with protecting yourself. Hating and resenting someone, I honestly don't have a problem with it. (laughs) You might. So I'm not going to say it's healthy for you or good for you. I don't have a problem with hating someone, but I don't believe in holding on to hate because that's when it eats away at you. I don't have a problem with just hating someone and just getting it out of my system and saying I hate them 
and just expressing it because if you don't express it, it stays in it stays inside and it gets repressed. If it gets repressed, then you hold on to it. And you, every time you think about that person, the hate comes up again and that eats away at you, but you don't feel like you you should hate, so you stuff it back down. That's the problem with hate and resentment is when you stuff it back down. When you express it and you're able to say it and allow yourself to hate or resent, it usually comes out if you're honestly expressing how you feel. I, I had to hate my stepfather before I could love him from another perspective. Doesn't mean I want him in my life. Just means that maybe as a human being on earth, I love him in that way. You know, he's going through the challenges that we're all going through, except he does a lot worse things than most people. But I can love him from a different uh, plane of existence, I guess. Just like someone toxic in your life, you can hate them and resent them, get it out of your system, say it to yourself, say it to a friend, a therapist. Maybe you have to say it to them, I don't know. Um, I'm not here to say that you should or shouldn't, but once you get it out of your system, it should get out of your system. You know what? I hate that person and I'm so angry there in my life. But when you express it, just make sure you're expressing all the reasons. Because sometimes that energy builds up inside of you and it stays in there until you express it, until it comes out. The energy inside, the energy of hate and resentment, when that stays inside of you, will eat away at you, will affect you physically, will create stress and anxiety. Anything negative that you repress that's not expressed, not released, not processed, or not healed, uh, you're going to carry around with you, and it's it's just going to eat away from the inside out. So you don't want that to happen. But I still believe that it's okay to have this feeling of hate and this feeling of resentment because you don't want to resist what's happening inside of you. You don't want to push it back down. That's what a lot of people do. I, I shouldn't feel this way. That's what they'll tell themselves. I shouldn't feel this way, so I better not. Well, where does it go? It goes back in. If it came out, then you're home free. But it usually goes back in, the hate, the resentment, if you're not uh, allowing yourself to feel it because the more you resist feeling it, the more it amplifies inside of you. And not only are you feeling hatred or resentment inside of you, but the resistance on top of that just builds and builds more negative energy. And now you're just holding on to so much. That's why I'm a fan of saying, you know what, just let it out. Express it. Let it be known that you hate and resent and allow yourself to feel that stuff. Allow it. I'm not saying you have to say it to the person. I'm not saying you have to scream it at the top of a mountain. I'm just saying allow yourself to feel it and allow yourself to express it so it gets out of your system. But in this case, uh, when you block someone, you're doing it for self-protection. So I just wanted to uh, just disconnect the relationship between blocking and hating. Those are two different things. When you block someone, it's for protection, at least the way you're writing it here. So that's my take on that. Now, you said since you unblocked, uh, a few of her text messages came in saying, how are you? And I'd like to come by. Would you like to see me? Now, I noticed that in all the messages that I read here from her, there was not a single ounce of, I have thought about what I said to you. There's not a single ounce of reflection. There's not a, a single ounce uh, or 
anything near an apology. It's more like breadcrumbing. Okay, now I'm going to throw this breadcrumb out and hope you grab it because I want you back in my life under my terms. That's my concern here is that when someone throws a breadcrumb out and mentions nothing of what has happened, what has transpired, how come we haven't talked in a month or two, um, are you mad at me, and if so, I'd like to apologize, let's talk about it. Nothing like that is in any of these messages that you, that you shared here. So all I see is someone who maybe is afraid of losing control of you or has another reason that she wants you in her life or whatever it is, but um, these are breadcrumbs. These are the things I don't trust. She wrote, I'd like to come by. Would you like to see me? If yes, which day would suit you? Have a nice day. Have a nice day? (laughs) I'm sorry, but when you've been toxic and you've been told that you were toxic, because I didn't read it in the message, but she's told her mom that she's been toxic to her, been hurtful, and asked her, do you know you're hurting me? And her mom to say have a nice day without acknowledging any of that stuff that just tells me that um, she's just throwing the past under the rug and just moving forward hoping that they can rekindle the relationship they had bad idea bad idea when it's been that toxic you don't want to rekindle something like that because there's been no enlightenment there's been no revelation there's been no reflection at least according to what she's writing here and certainly no apologies, and uh, I don't see any step in that direction. So these are breadcrumbs, and breadcrumbs can be dangerous because breadcrumbs are intended for kind, compassionate, caring, supportive people to think that maybe they should take the breadcrumb because if they don't, then they're a bad person. That's what kind people, compassionate people usually do. They take the breadcrumb because they don't want to be seen as the bad guy. So when they take the breadcrumb, they feel good about themselves, knowing, okay, I'm taking a step forward to rekindle or help the relationship improve. But really what they're doing often is falling into a trap. So that's my take on these breadcrumb texts that you're getting. Now with the gift, should you send the gift back? Well, here's my take on it. There is such thing as giving gifts with strings attached. This could be one of those things. However, you can cut that string and keep the gift. (laughs) This string might be part of the breadcrumbing, or I'll say with 100% certainty that this gift is part of the breadcrumbing, and it is the string that's attached, meaning it's not a real gift. A, A real gift is selfless. It's giving someone something because you care about them and you want them to be happy and you think they'll appreciate it and then walking away without expecting anything in return well what about thank you sure that would be nice but if you expect a thank you in return is it truly selfless well not all gifts are selfless that's true some gifts are um, just appreciation and you kind of expect a thank you. Yes, that would be great to get a thank you for every gift, but a truly selfless gift where you care about someone so much that all you want to do is see them happy and you want to support their path, the direction they're taking in their life. 
when you give a gift, you cut the string if there is one attached. And you just move that gift over to them and you walk away knowing that you're doing something that you hope will make them happy. So, yes, you can have strings attached to your gift, like a simple thank you. Might be a string attached, but that's common courtesy. You say thank you. That's great. In this case, however, this is where things get a little hairy, is that when a toxic person gives you a gift, there's almost always a string attached. And because of all the breadcrumb texts that this person has received, the gift is another breadcrumb. And because of that, the breadcrumbing is wanting her to respond, getting her engaged in conversation. The mom wants the daughter back in her life. Um, the gift is another part of that. And this will typically amplify and continue. Oh, that gift didn't work to get her back in my life, so I'll send another gift. Or I'll do something kind, and I'll just keep doing that and try to pay for this relationship to work. Either pay in breadcrumb texts or breadcrumb gifts or compliments or whatever. There might be some love bombing, gift bombing, those kinds of things. Is this person attempting to pay for the relationship to rekindle? And that can be a dangerous thing for this person who wrote. Um, as far as giving the gift back, this is where I say, hey, just cut the string. Keep the gift if you like it and you want it and cut the string because a real gift is selfless. So there shouldn't be a string attached. And if this person expects you to get in touch with them and talk with them and they've been toxic before and they've done all this breadcrumbing with no apologies and nothing mentioned about the past and their past behavior, then this gift is another attempt, another ploy to get you back in their life somehow, perhaps to control you, perhaps to hurt you. And so just cut the string and you can keep the gift. <laughs> Some people may disagree with that. Some people say, you know, once you have that gift, once you accept it, uh, now you're under their control. And I would say, no, you're not. You have the gift, yes. And they may say, well, you got the gift. Now you owe me something. But it's not true. People who care about people might send them a gift, and that gift should have no strings attached. So you should not feel obligated in any way. Now, if her mom apologizes and said, you know, I've really thought about things and I shouldn't have treated you that way and I apologize for this, this, and this. I'm, I'm so sorry I said this to, this to you and I'm so sorry I did this to you. Then you can say, you know what, thank you so much. Thank you so much and thank you for the gift too. I'm so glad that we can work this stuff out. But until that happens... The gift is just another breadcrumb, and I say cut the string if you want to keep the gift, or send it back if you really want to send a message. <laughs> you can do that. You can send her a message saying, nothing you do and nothing you buy me will ever get us to reconnect. All I'm looking for is an apology. You could do that, but I have no problem keeping the gift. I actually did that once. I remember my stepfather got me a gift once, and this is many, many years after my mom divorced him and all that stuff, and he was trying to make nice, but he's done so many so many awful things that that gift, yes, there was a ping of guilt because I think, oh, that was very kind of him. And then I realized, wait, <laughs> all that stuff he did, this little gift isn't going to make up for all that stuff, and he hasn't said a word about all that other stuff. He hasn't said a word about it, and suddenly a gift. So 
I had to cut that string and enjoy my gift. That I know it sounds cold when I when I say that, but it, to me, I mean, I'm I'm saying it now, and I'm thinking that sounds kind of cold. But the reality is, uh, I didn't ask for the gift, and it came out of the blue. And if it's truly a gift, it'll be left at my doorstep and personal walk away. So anyway, that's my thought about the gift, and um, I think that's all you asked. Oh, you did say you're wondering what she wants, and if you if you should be worried about something. I think, yes, she does want you back in her life, but I think on her terms. So if you get back in her life, it'll be on her terms, unless you say, look, when we reconnect, when we talk, when we're together or when we're on the phone, if you do X, whatever X is, I'm going to hang up. I'm going to walk away. If you start putting me down or putting my career down or putting my choice of romantic partners down, if you do any of that, I'm out. I'm leaving because that's hurtful. If you can't not be hurtful, I can't be around you. So the only thing that Uh, I get from this message and when you say should I be worried about something is that she'll probably multiply her efforts to get you back in her life but without those apologies without a mention of history and admitting bad behavior or toxic behavior uh, then I don't know if that's a good idea so the only thing you should be worried about is more gifts (laughs) maybe she'll show up at your door that could happen me it could happen very much i think it's important to prepare yourself for something like that mentally think about what you'll say or do if and when she does i've had to face this with a toxic person in my life they showed up at the door (laughs) i was not prepared but in that instant i just asked myself what is the most empowered response and i think that's a, a, a good thing to carry around with you. Just that question. What is the most empowered response in this moment? And I also ask myself, if I had no fear of the consequences, what would I do or say right now? I love that question because it brings out your truth. And it brings out your most empowered response. You just ask yourself that question. If I had no fear of the consequences in this moment, what would I do or say? That doesn't mean I want you to put yourself in a violent situation with an aggressive person. It just allows you to access your truth and then gives you a choice to apply that truth. Choosing to take that step is what you'll need to decide in nanoseconds if you're um, facing it in a sudden way. You know, they show up. So that's something you might want to visualize in your head. If this person shows up, what would I do or say? And then ask yourself the question, what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? It's a great little challenge for yourself. So I'm glad you wrote this. Thank you so much for sharing this. I am so sorry you're going through this. And I'm sorry that you can't have the loving, doting, supportive, wonderful mom that some people have. And when you don't have someone in your life that you want to have in your life, but they don't show up in a healthy way, you have to make some tough decisions. You've made some tough decisions to block your mom. Not many people can do that. They think, well, she's my mom. I can't block her. She's blood. Well, 
I believe that um, once you become an adult, then we're all equals. And if family is going to mistreat you when they're supposed to be an equal, then you can make a choice to have them in your life or not. And you can also make a choice to make empowered decisions that are right for you so that you can let people know how you want to be treated. And so this is one of those things I gave you a lot of my thoughts and insights about how I believe it's important to uh, move forward with this. And I hope it helps. I want to thank you for joining me today. And I'm going to run into this quick break. I'm going to tell you about another podcast that I want you to tune into. A really brilliant guy. One of the top podcasts that um, you've probably heard of. And if not, I'm going to tell you about it in a moment. Be right back after this. know I talk about toxic people a lot on this show because I think there are a lot of toxic people out there. That doesn't make me a pessimist. It just makes me realistic. (laughs) Hopefully by now, though, you have eliminated most of the toxic behaviors in your life, whether it's something that somebody else is doing or an environment that you're in. This show addresses toxicity and difficult relationships, difficult situations, difficult environments from a certain angle. And um, that angle is usually trying to get results in the most emotionally intelligent way you can. And I want to recommend a podcast that gives you extremely practical and effective steps that, like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show, they talk about too, and then they explore it in angles that I don't address. And I think that's important to get every angle you can on a lot of the subject matters we talk about and some of the stuff we don't. For example, I go to jordanharbinger.com and I search for the word toxic. And uh, the first thing I see are eight signs it's time to cut a toxic person out of your life. That's an article. But his podcast has episodes, one of them's called Diffusing the Drama Around Your Intoxicated Mama. <laughs> and uh, one is how to make sure you're not that toxic person. There's like 11 pages with the word toxic in it. So you want to expand your mind as much as possible. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's interesting. There's never a dull show. I want you to search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. He is brilliant. He has a unique perspective. Check him out. Go to jordanharbinger.com forward slash start. And again, look for the Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. I'm going to read you a message from somebody in my Healed Being program that is for people that want to change their behavior because they know they're difficult, they know they're being emotionally abusive or hurtful to the people they love. So um, every now and then I get, or a lot of the times, I get questions from members that um, are taking the lessons and in the support group and things like that. And one of the questions that I received from this person says, you know, my wife is damn near perfect. 
<laughs> and he doesn't mean that sarcastically. He says that um, there's no behavior from her that I need to accept and deal with because she's perfect, or at least darn near it. And uh, it's just me always being too critical and judgmental with her. I assume I need to develop a stronger filter and not let the hurtful comments out. I realize I am way too judgmental with her and the kids. Is that something I can change or should my focus on being more conscious and developing a stronger filter? Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate you being open and vulnerable because to say that you are the difficult person in the relationship, that, that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of vulnerability. It's like what I, I tell people in the program. It's like pulling your heart out and handing it to the person that you've been hurting and saying, it's yours to do with as you please. That's a very vulnerable place. It's very exposed. You don't get to wear any emotional armor. You are stepping into whatever that makes you feel. To me, it's it's very scary when you know you've hurt someone and then you say, here's my heart. Do with it as you please. That's a scary thing. So this is what a lot of people do in that program is that they become vulnerable. They become humble. And I think that's important when you've been hurting someone, for, especially for a long period of time, and now you don't want to do that anymore, and you feel regret, you feel remorse, you want to change, and this person wants to change. He says, I'm just being too critical and judgmental. I can absolutely relate. That's where I was. I had several relationships that pretty much failed because of my bad behavior, and it was a humbling and vulnerable experience to go through healing and I'm so glad that uh, there are other people on this healing journey as well. So I'm going to suggest what I believe should be this person's uh, direction, which is, first of all, read my article on judgment. Go to theoverwhelmbrain.com and type in the word judgment, and you'll find an article that says, Judgment, the Ultimate Relationship Destroyer. I know this from personal experience, unfortunately. I have destroyed every relationship with my judgmental ab- attitude, Uh, my critical behavior, my sky-high standards. And um, it took a lot of reflecting and healing to get over that. But here's what I did. If you read the article, you'll get into more detail. But in a nutshell, um, in order to stop being judgmental, I had to develop a thought process, a self-questioning process. For example, when I was married, I would say, uh, I'm angry at something that my wife is doing or did. And then I would think, I want her to do something else. And so I would become very judgmental and critical in my marriage. And one of the things I did to heal from being so judgmental was asking myself, if I have a problem with it, why am I making it her problem? Or I asked myself something like that. If I have a problem with what she's doing or did, why am I making it her problem? How is this not my problem? For example, I used to be very judgmental about the food she ate. It's something I'm embarrassed to tell you now, but it's true. I was judgmental about the food she ate. And um, I thought that she should eat healthier. And so I would make her feel guilty or give her that look or not talk to her. I would give her the silent treatment. Very toxic, toxic behavior. And it finally occurred to me near the end of our marriage that I was being a jerk. I was just 
making her feel bad about something that I had a problem with that really wasn't my problem at all. That wasn't my problem. If she had a problem with it, that was her problem. And if she wanted my help, she would have asked for it, but she didn't. And I'm not even saying that she was broken or anything like that. I'm just saying that I made her decisions in life my problem. And so it took a lot of reflecting and becoming empathetic and thinking about how it must feel to be in her shoes with me judging her and um, finally admitting that I really can't take on her decisions as my problem. If I have a problem with what she's doing, that's my problem. That's not her problem. But I made her decisions my problem. And so I, I think when this person who wrote says, you know, he's being critical and judgmental, he has to think in this new way. Why am I angry at what she's doing, his wife, when it's my problem that I'm angry? That sounds tricky, I know. (laughs) It's my problem that I'm angry. It's not hers. Okay, if you're really angry at something she's doing, why are you making it her problem? Well, I want her to stop doing it. It affects me. Well, if it affects you, you can say, hey, look, what you're doing affects me. Would you please stop? That might not be fair. Maybe what she's doing isn't a, isn't a problem at all, but you're making it a problem, so it might create some strife. But you could say that or ask that, but really the reality is when you make someone else's decisions and what they do in life and those decisions that they make affect you, What you need to do is make decisions for yourself if you want to be exposed to that behavior and a part of this person's life because that person comes with their own issues, their own nuances. It's the whole package that you're getting. If you're in a romantic relationship, the person you're getting comes with a lot of, it could be baggage, it could be uh, quirks, it could be habits. You are taking the whole package. And so for you to then become judgmental about the components of that package, now you are creating the issue that didn't exist before because you're making the components of their package your problem. Even though you are there to accept them and be with them and try to support their path, whatever they're taking. But what ends up happening is that we can see somebody doing something else that affects us in some way and we become bothered by it and then we bother them about it. And instead of keeping it on our side, we put it back on them. And I know this it's a gray area in some, some cases. Sometimes they're doing things that directly affect us. If that person loves to smoke and you don't and they're blowing smoke in your face, it affects you. Maybe you'll be angry. Maybe you'll say, please don't do that, and they keep doing it. Then your anger could be justified. Look, I told you to stop blowing smoke in my face, and you're doing it again. Well, maybe they're angry at you because every time they smoke outside, because you agreed that they should smoke outside, you still give them the dirty look or the silent treatment or you mope around the house, whatever it is. But my point is, when they're doing something, somebody else is doing something that you don't like, and you have a problem with, but they don't have a problem with what they're doing. Or even if they did, even if they did have a problem with what they're doing, you, the way you deal with it is your issue. It's not their issue. 
And I go deeper into that in the article that I told you about, Judgment, the Ultimate Relationship Destroyer. So that's the first thing I would work on, is telling yourself, my problem with them is my problem. It's not their problem. My problem with them is my problem. If I have a problem with it, it's my problem. You may disagree with that. But if you want to stop being judgmental and critical, that's how you have to view people. My problem with them is my problem, not theirs. It's when we push it back onto them that all kinds of hell breaks loose. <laughs> it can be bad for the relationship. The problem becomes exacerbated, it gets amplified, and it becomes a bigger issue in the relationship. And eventually the relationship, or very soon, the relationship suffers because you have a problem with their decisions. And if that's the case, you need to make decisions for yourself to either accept their behavior, their decisions, or if you don't accept their behavior and decisions, you need to make new decisions for yourself. So I'm not going to dive into that too much. The article says more about that. But the very last thing he asked is, is this something that I can change or should I focus on being more conscious and developing a stronger filter? I just wrote a lesson in the program on filters and how our filters can be um, down when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're upset, when we're irritated, when we're in what I would call a lowered state. If you're drunk, if you're high, if you're angry, if you are triggered, these are all lowered states. You're not at your peak performance. And because of that, what can happen is that your filters, the, the things you say and the things you do, uh, you're not as in much control of those when your filters are lower or down. And so when you're in a heightened or uh, up state, for example, where you're not too tired and you're feeling pretty good and you're just going throughout your day, something can happen and it won't affect you as much. But if you're in a lowered state and you're less likely to do anything that's hurtful or toxic or say anything that's nasty to someone. I mean, typically. Sometimes you can be surprised and throw something out and then the whole day is ruined or something. But for the most part, when you're in that up or higher state, you don't have to worry about something coming out of you that's out of your control. But when you're in that lowered state, it's almost as if instinct takes over. If somebody comes along and says anything, I'm going to be angry. That That's like a lowered state because you're already upset. You're already ready to attack almost, or at least defend. And when you're in that lowered state, you are less likely to filter what you say or do. So should he work on filters? Should he develop stronger filters? Um, I think it's important to ask yourself, am I in this lowered state right now? I mean, when you get triggered... You want to ask yourself this, am I in a lowered state right now? Because if I am, I'm going to say something I don't mean. That's hard to do when you're triggered. Because usually when you're triggered, somebody ticks you off, it's going to be hard for you to take a moment to ask yourself, am I triggered? But this is how I handle that, is I imagine it happening in the future and visualize what I'll do and say. This is something I probably have said many times on this show. I've said it in the program, Healed Being. I want you to challenge yourself with a visualization of it happening. For example, if I thought I still had a problem with people drinking around me, I would visualize myself uh, watching, say, my girlfriend drinking and getting more and more drunk. And I would ask myself, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? 
Am I going to be angry? How will I feel? How will I feel if she calls me out of the blue and she's really drunk? Hey, pick me up. (laughs) Will that upset me? And uh, as I go through that visualization, I find out where I am with it. If I start getting angry, if I start getting red in the face, then I know I might still have a problem with it. However, when I think about it right now, I'd probably laugh because she never gets drunk, so I think that was funny because I feel like I've healed from that and visualizing that happening again uh, doesn't bother me. doesn't bother me at all. So um, that is something you can do is to think ahead, visualize something bothering you, and then this will help you understand what triggers you, and then it will also help you Uh, Make some time before you react, which is my whole point of how I'm answering this, is that when you ask yourself, am I in a lowered state right now, it gives you time between the trigger and the reaction. And that can be very helpful if um, you are prone to being triggered by something they do. And all you have to do is think about something they do that triggers you. What upsets you? What if she said this? Or what if a person in your life did this certain thing again. Would that upset you? And if it did, ask yourself, am I in a lowered state right now? And that gives you a little time before you respond or react. And then if you've been known to react or overreact, you might have some time to make a different choice about how you respond. And that's the whole point of trying to control your filters or make them stronger is to give yourself some time before you react. And the best way to do that is to make sure you're not in a lowered state. And if you are, you may want to take a step back. You may want to give yourself a few more seconds before you respond so that you can get in control of your reaction. And then when you do react, at least you'd have a a moment or two before you did, which gives you enough time to maybe control it and maybe say something more productive or healthier so that um, you don't go down the rabbit hole that you might be used to doing. So that's my answer. It's not everything I have to say on it, but due to time, I'm going to cut it short here and hope that helps you stay strong. Thank you for sharing this. And thank you for joining me for another episode of the overwhelmed brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous and my goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to tune in to The Jordan Harbinger Show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also go to jordanharbinger.com forward slash start, and I think you're going to find some totally interesting topics. I also want to thank the financial backers of the show, the patrons of the week, I call them every week, Victoria, Tracy, Kayla, Christy, Monty, Monty's new and sent me a wonderful message. I'm going to reply to you, Monty. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for joining the patron program and supporting the show. And Janet, thank all of you. I appreciate each and every one of you. And I am very grateful. If you find value in the show and you'd like to give back, head over to moretob.com and uh, support the show. There are a few options over there. And of course, if you join the patron program, you'll get uh, some goodies there too as well. Thank you again, patrons. And for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, check out my other podcast, loveandabuse.com. 
And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, head over to healedbeing.com. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. A lot of dot-coms today. <laughs> but I am going to finish the show with a, um, I think this is a kind message to me. This person wrote, I found your podcast last year, but it wasn't the right time. Then when I started listening again a couple months ago, it was like a light bulb came on. And to my surprise, I sent an email and not only did you respond, I found myself listening to the podcast with my email in it. I shared it with my husband and without telling him, he guessed that I had written that email. I keep listening because your response to my perfectionism issue was something I had never considered, but was so simple. Defining my expectations has made such a huge difference in my way of thinking. I still struggle with feeling bad about having spent so much of my life stuck in unrealistic expectations without defining them. I appreciate myself for reaching out for therapy and listening to your podcasts. Your words were able to scale my wall and find a door. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you're probably thinking, you're reading another one of my emails. <laughs> yes, I am. I appreciate your words. So grateful. And I am happy to address one thing in your email or a couple things. You said you're still struggling about feeling bad about having spent so much of your life stuck in unrealistic expectations without defining them. So if you didn't hear my episode where I talked about her original email on um, her perfectionism, I said, you know, one of the things that you keep saying is that you're not enough or you're not doing enough or you're not smart enough. And I finally had to ask her, what are you comparing yourself to? You're not enough compared to what? You're not smart enough compared to who? You're not um, a, a good parent compared to who? Your own parents? I mean, you didn't have anything defined. And that's what, that's what she's saying. She's like, I didn't define these things. I just said I wasn't good enough or I wasn't smart enough or whatever she said. And I said, you need to define this stuff. You need to tell yourself exactly what perfection looks like. What does perfection look like? What does a perfect, clean house look like? If it's not a speck of dirt, good luck. <laughs> but if it's just enough where the couch is in the right place and the blankets are put away and there's no socks on the floor, when you define what a clean house looks like or whatever it is you're being want to be perfect about, then you have a goal. You have a direction. You know what it looks like. The problem with perfectionism is that it's completely unattainable because it's usually not defined. Not always, but it's usually not defined. And so we're always striving for something that doesn't really exist, even in our own mind. I can't define what it is. I just know it needs to be better. Well, then you'll always be on that quest. And some people thrive on that. I love thriving for perfectionism, even though I know it's unattainable. But if I can get there just a little closer each time, even though there's no destination because it doesn't exist, at least I'm going in the right direction. And so you have to listen to that episode for more and my thoughts on that. But there's something else she said. She's saying that uh, she's still struggling with feeling bad about having spent so much of my life stuck in unrealistic expectations without defining them. So what she's telling me is that she's looking in the rearview mirror thinking about uh, how she messed up or how she could have done things differently. And when you do that, what you end up doing is draining the energy 
in the present and in the future. And you're putting all this energy into the past. Oh, what I did in the past. Oh, this relationship. Oh, my this job I had. Or this person in my family. I, I'm thinking about how I treated them. I'm thinking about how I could have acted differently. I'm thinking about uh, I should have kept that job and I should have divorced that person. All this energy that goes into the past gets drained from the present and the future. I know it sounds a little bit uh, ambiguous when I talk like that, but I got to talk about it that way because this is how I see it visually, is that when your energy and your thoughts and your focus is on the past and your regrets, you are actually taking away from the present and the future and where that energy should be going. It's sort of like being with somebody that you really love but thinking about somebody you used to love and not feeling as happy as you could be because you're thinking about the happiness that you could have had in the past. It's like you're taking the happiness out of the present and the future and putting it where you believe it should have been in the past. I don't probably have to explain how detrimental that is and how much of, I don't mean to be, blunt but a waste of time it is and I know it's hard because that's where our brain goes it it goes into the past I should have done this look at all the time I spent doing that I've had people write to me and say I I spent 30 years in a relationship and for 29 and a half years it was great and then I found out they were cheating on me six months before we got divorced And so now I look at my entire relationship as a waste of my life. Wow. I mean, that's, I get it. I mean, I'm not putting you down for that or making you think that's the wrong way to think. But in a way, it might be the wrong way to think. But here you are, you just had a great 29 years. And then the last six months, you found out that there was uh, a problem, infidelity or whatever. And you might say, yeah, but. You know, for 15 of those years, that's what was happening behind my back. I totally get it. I'd be very angry. I would be angry. I would be so upset. But does it negate how you felt that whole time? Does it negate anything? You might say yes, because that was a false 15 years that it happened. It wasn't real. But at the time it was real. But when you found out today, you suddenly erased 15 years of happiness. Even though you didn't know about it. Even though it was wrong. Somebody cheated on you or whatever betrayed you. But you took it all away from yourself. You still had enjoyable times. You still had enjoyable moments. But yes, there was a betrayal. But when you look back and you take all that happiness away you also remove it from the present and the future. This is the reverse aspect of this, the reverse outlook, where something that did make you happy, that you now realize uh, you shouldn't have been happy at that time, or it wasn't real, so now it's, it's a totally different meaning. Then you take your past and you change it so it becomes more miserable so that you bring it forward with you into the future. Oh, that jerk did this. They cheated. They betrayed me. They changed my life. And uh, now I can't trust anyone. And 
there's some definite PTSD in there and definite healing that needs to take place. And I'm not saying it's easy just to say that those 15 years in this example um, shouldn't be seen as different or perceived differently. But should you just replace all that happiness with misery, with anger? Should you spend any time switching things around in your past, even if reality is different now? It's not an easy answer. I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't, but I am saying to me, it can be uh, detrimental to your present and your future if you mess around or focus on the past, uh, especially when there's negativity and you are thinking that you could have done something differently, you should have done something differently, uh, you wish you had known better, you wish you were smarter back then to see what you see today, but it's past. It's in the past. It's gone. It's like um, questions I get about uh, someone's romantic relationship where their partner had a questionable or risky past or um, promiscuous past. And the person writing to me says, I can't stop thinking about their past. Now it's not even that person's past. It's somebody else's past. And so all of our energy goes into this past that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, literally, it's gone. It's like it rains on a sunny day, and you see the rain, and you're in it, and you think, oh, this is miserable. It was just sunny, for those who don't want it to rain on a sunny day. <laughs> it was just sunny, and now it's rainy. And now I'm upset. And then the next day, it's sunny, but you keep thinking about that rain that happened yesterday. Oh, that rain. And then the next day and the next week, and it's been sunny for days and weeks now, but you keep focusing on that rainy day. God, that rainy day put me down. I, I just didn't like that rainy day. I'm sure most people don't do that. I'm hoping you don't do that. But imagine if we did. Imagine if we thought, wow, I'm having a great day. Oh, it's raining. Oh, okay. You get through that day, and the next day it's sunny, and you think, yeah, but... I really enjoy this day as much as I really should because yesterday it rained. Now I got to go forward knowing that I had that miserable day. I mean, that day was ruined. The rain came and the sun was gone. That was it. How can I go forward with that rainy day in my past? That rainy day doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. And because it's gone, why are we putting energy toward it? Why are we focused on it? And I know there's a lot of this stuff I'm talking about. There is PTSD. There is old traumas that need healing. And yes, we need to work on that stuff. We need to reflect on it. We need to process it. But it is important to remember that when we have even small regrets, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, that maybe we're spending a little too much time looking in the rearview mirror and not enough time uh, giving our energy to the things and the people that are in our life today and what's to come. And I know it's not always easy to do, but work on it. You know, this is something we work on. This is the direction that we're going in. We're trying to build forward momentum in our lives so that we can live the best life we can and try to be happy and try to be around people that support us and love us. And um, we're just doing the best we can. And I want to help you do the best you can. And one of the ways I do that is by giving you these final words that I say at the end of every episode always keep an open mind 
This is what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.